0: The only good bug is a dead bug. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome to the 24th episode of Cult Following, the bi-weekly podcast brought to you by three fine folks in Tempe, Arizona who love to talk about movies. If you live in this area, check us out at Cult Classics AZ where we show old movies every month on the big screen uh find out more about that at cultclassicsaz.com. uh i'm one of your three hosts for this fine podcast my name is victor marino along with adam rukowski and kirby nelson
1: yes
0: yes so Uh, We love to talk about movies, you guys, and uh, if you like what you see, subscribe to us, or here, rather. You know, we don't don't exclusively abide by all five senses or six, depending on what kind of crazy witchcraft you all do. Subscribe to us on iTunes at CultFollowing. We're also on SoundCloud at CultFollowing. And our website with all our archives is CultFollowing.co. Uh, and the next movie we're showing for those of you in the phoenix arizona area is total recall 25th anniversary get on your ass to cult classics exactly talk saturday the reactor november 14th and 9 30 p.m tickets on sale at cultclassicsaz.com and at zia records locations throughout the valley uh so to kick this things off we're going to talk about some of the things we've been watching uh, lately. uh Me and Adam actually uh, got a little bit cultured this weekend, and we saw... (laughs) Culture! Culture! Not the kind that grows in a Petri dish, but the kind you see on stage, because we saw Matt Stone and Trey Parker's Tony Award winning The Book of Mormon. Yeah, and you're all dressed up. I know, right? You know, it's it's like a nice night out. I had a...
1: Proper young gent.
0: Wear a dress shirt over my Cult Classics t-shirt, you know? True story.
1: Yeah. You saw the little... uh... Bad ears kind of popping over the uh
0: Exactly. Button down shirt. Uh so what do you think of uh, the Book of Mormon? I had never seen it before, heard of I, I'd heard of it, but I didn't know anything about the plot. I don't know how familiar you were with it.
1: Uh no, I mean you can't really find a lot of information on Broadway shows uh-huh. before you see it anyways, other than unless it was based on a book. If you hear any slurping, that's a uh, that's Kirby in the background. Enjoying, <laughs>
0: enjoying his boba. I'm enjoying my boba. Not so to be have... confused with fat.
1: Uh yeah but it was it was fantastic i mean you could see you know i mean it's trey and um and matt's uh the sense of humor if you remember the episode where they kind of went to town on scientology that's of south park that's kind of what reminded me of book of mormon yeah, they actually the did church? a
0: whole episode. Uh, it was actually called "All About Mormonism," I believe. One of the things I liked is that uh, Joseph Smith in the Book of Mormon has the exact same character design as the Joseph Smith in that South Park episode. Sure. Yeah, you know. Plus, I like that the in, the beginning and the beginning of the show after the intermission, you know, gives you a little history about the Latter Day Saint, and it actually had Trey Parker's voice. You know, right. like. You guys, I just got crucified on the other side of the world.
1: Yeah, but it was hilarious. <laughs> so I really liked it. Um, it's one of the funniest Broadway musicals I've ever seen, and I've seen quite a bit. Oh, yeah. We go a lot. Uh, we go to the Hale Theater a lot, is one of our favorite places to go. So I've seen everything from, you know, Little Shop of Horrors, Wicked, uh, Lame well, Is, that's not really a, a comedy, uh, Young Frankenstein, I, so many different things that I've seen, but um, this is the funniest one from yeah, like, we're checking. beginning to end. And you know and It's pretty accessible. We're checking laundry. out Evil Dead the
0: musical on Wednesday, so this so is a culture week. So that's basically like middle culture, though, because you can't
2: haven't quite reached high culture. Yeah, it's it's yeah. middle
1: brow. <sighs> yeah, but then it's I, I think like the the high culture people would think of it as kind of one of those ways to well it's it's because it, it it's so popular and it's gotten so many awards. That that's probably why they're seeing it.
0: I do think the production values were kind of awesome. I mean, that I've never seen like a Broadway or a, any kind of stage production where it looked almost like you're watching a movie on stage. Oh sure, yeah. And that's how I would describe it. I, I was really impressed by that. Yeah, the dance
1: numbers are really good, mm-hmm. um, and they were the costumes. Costumes are really good. Costume changes are really good. I mean, they knew what they were. I mean, it was the Broadway cast. Yeah. So they've already been touring, you know, together long enough to where they have it down. Perfectly, mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah, the interaction
0: with, like, the moving set pieces and everything. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I thought that was really cool. Um, but, yeah, we're checking out Evil Dead the Musical, which I've never seen before this Wednesday. I know Adam's seen it. You're a big yeah, fan of it. Yeah, we saw it in Vegas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I You're- saw
2: it uh, here. It's uh, at Nearly Naked. Yeah. And I'll be going and seeing it again probably for this show. I keep trying to get Splyer's own tickets, and they keep selling out, though, so...
1: Well, that's probably what that's when you'd probably have to see it in vegas yeah you know, I'll, I'll, probably, I'll probably
2: go see it in vegas again because yeah. I, I i could probably watch that like numerous numerous times just because
1: it'd be easier to get um the split. oh yeah through. without a doubt yeah
0: I, I i'm excited to check it out at the mesa arts center i remember it was playing at the phoenix theater one year when i was speaking at ignite phoenix and we didn't get to see it but the line for it was huge um but hey listener if you are interested in seeing evil dead the musical you know between november 10th and whenever it's running uh classics has a discount code for you zombie enter it at checkout save 25 percent off
2: i believe uh final performance is actually this sunday yeah so
0: get in before then and use that code why
1: this year went by really fast well yeah
0: you got to remember too the kickoff performance is actually tomorrow so it's a short run
1: uh do you know when our one year anniversary is for Cult Following? N- uh I don't know. I think it's So when when did we record it? Do you remember when we recorded? Not when we actually posted the first episode, because that was until like the beginning of the year. I don't remember. I, I think feel, it was I thought we did this in
2: like October November last year. Feels yeah, like we've been doing this for a long time. I my only hope is to reach twenty five episodes by <laughs> years end. So I, I think i think that's an achievable goal yeah we finally we finally
0: yay (laughs)
1: we're (laughs) i believe it was the 19th of this month oh was it it feels somewhere in fall fall. so
0: so it does seem like our 25th episode will probably be around our one Mm -hmm. year anniversary so that's cool that's cool cool. Mm -hmm. nice and thanks
2: to everybody who's been listening and leaving comments and (coughs) supporting and said you know been kind or offered commentary at our uh, convention appearances or just at the uh, cult classic shows. It means a lot.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as other things I've watched lately, it's kind of hard to... You know, we've been really busy. I've seen the first four episodes of The New Fargo. mm
1: mm-hmm. oh, um,
0: season, season two. Season two. And um, that... Uh, it has a really good cast. It has um, uh, Jeffrey Donovan, who... Uh, you know, he was on Burn Notice with uh Bruce Campbell and he's on that Is he the main guy? Yes. Okay. And um who else is on that show? Um Nick Offerman from mm-hmm. uh, Parks and Recreation. Um.
1: So what? I was, Kirsten
0: Dunst and um the guy who played Todd on Breaking Bad.
1: So I mean, I didn't see the first season. What I was, what my understanding is, the second one is it really doesn't have anything to do with the first one.
0: It's kind of a prequel, I think. Uh, Patrick Wilson is the main cop, and I think he is playing this, the younger version of the character Keith Carradine plays in the first season.
1: Okay, so, so it's it's going backwards.
0: It kind of hops around in time, you know, because the first the Fargo movie is a period piece, and then the first season of Fargo was also set in the past. Okay, and this one is set in
1: 1979. Oh my gosh,
0: it's really interesting. It's like the
1: difference between Indiana Jones, uh, the, the first, The Raiders of Lost Ark, and Temple of Doom yeah it's like you know Aaron well it, it, you, got know, older, you don't but really notice it younger yeah than...
0: you don't really notice it so much except for the fact that it lets you tell it, it makes it actually feel more cohen's brothery because there's no cell phones that's honestly the big thing that you, you get from the period piece aspect of it and okay. references to like you know jimmy carter's president in this season but it's really solid i i would recommend while well checking it out um what else oh and you know we've all been watching ash versus evil dead we haven't uh-huh. really talked about that at all yet it's awesome very good um, i haven't seen it yet so it's very good i know oh.
2: the first episode's up online so i'll probably check it out here in, in this couple of days i've just been so busy
1: the thing i most appreciate about it is it's as though uh, army of darkness did not exist i i don't know i don't really see that i see it more i have heard be- him say
0: references to boomstick the sure. way he told the flashback but was
1: here's my thing uh-huh army of darkness to me was extremely tame it's not it's not my favorite of the, of the three i like the second one a lot mm-hmm. um i mean i understand yeah i mean they do the boomstick thing but the, the it army of darkness very well could have been pg-13 if it was released today it would have been yeah um it didn't. It didn't it, cool. it
2: was PG thirteen. Yeah,
0: I went to it when mm-hmm. I was twelve years old or thirteen. Yeah, they years old. advertised it in comic books.
1: It was a PG. It was a
0: PG thirteen movie. Yeah. Oh
1: well, it's an R now. Yeah, they have it as R. Uh, but it it just it doesn't it didn't have a level of gore that I was expecting. Once you see Oh people no Evil Dead two, and then you go, too, then is you go to Army Gory. of Darkness, mm-hmm. and then it just kind of uh, played as i don't know
0: it is it's a much broader movie i mean when he fights the pit witch there isn't even red
1: blood you know it's like green or black if i remember Well, i mean they did that in evil dead 2 um change the color of like the deadites blood and everything like that to kind of appease the censors, so it wasn't like oh, But a yeah Raider and then X other movie. than
0: that he only fights skeletons so there's no real gore in that movie at all
1: Oh, an army of darkness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I am saying in Evil Dead 2, they even yeah. had the color, the different Oh, yeah. Blood. No,
0: but there's blood from, you know, when he's chopping off his hand and everything, you know. They don't show right. that in Army of Darkness. They cut away. He's like, yes. ah. Right.
1: Know? Yeah. Yeah. Where the show goes just oh, completely yeah. over no, the top.
0: Oh, yeah. No, especially episode two. I was just like, whoa, they're just going crazy. with- I was laughing so Yeah. Hard. It's very funny. I enjoyed a lot.
2: Yeah. But there was, I mean, that's. Then that yeah, is more of the spirit of Evil Dead 2 because, you know, it's the whole thing Sam Raimi has always said was that, you know, and obviously Sam Raimi, the Shemps, the whole Stooges thing is that slapstick sensibility that mm-hmm. it's just so ludicrously over the top that there's no way you can say, oh, God, it's realistic or whatever, you know, it's so, I'm sure that's a, I mean, I haven't seen it, but like I said, that's, I, I've always been a huge fan of Evil Dead 2 because I go, I, I've always explained it to people. I go, it reimagines the first film as a comedy.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: The first film is seriously depressing if you really watch it. Oh, it completely it, It's, it's is. not at all, like, really fun. I mean, there's some parts that, you know, either because of dated this or that. But it's, it's really not funny. It's very, very dark. And there's a real sad undercurrent to it. Mm-hmm. Like, the whole film. It's just oh, very... Yeah. Uh, it's merciless.
1: It's it's hard to watch the first Evil Dead, especially I it, the actually, part that involves a tree. Yeah, and the girl. I well, just, even that's when really they dark. did that
0: in the remake, it was really weird. You know, it was, but it wasn't
1: as. Um, no, it's much darker in the original. Yeah, the,
2: the film just overall, I think it's also just because the the period in which it was shot, just very gritty, and mm-hmm. um, it's very it's a grindhouse, but it's also like I don't know, there's just something. It's I don't even think of, that was even what I was thinking about the tree. I just think that. It's just like literally. Oh, hey, all my friends are dead, mm-hmm. and it's not like a slash or like hey yeah. kind of way. I mean, it's like uh, he's literally like all my friends are dead. You kill all my friends, turn them against me, and like I'm totally alone
0: and there's no help and there's nothing. Oh yeah, no, there's a lot of scenes of despondency in there. Yeah, it's really dark. It's um, just very relentless. Yeah, and I think I think part of the reason I do like Ashurst's Evil Dead is when he tells the story of the past. It is kind of with that framing. Yeah. Like, you know, he start, He tells it's sort of like the beginning of Army of Darts, but then he t- talks about his girlfriend, and then he just trails off and stops. Right. Even though you see the scenes, he doesn't tell the new sidekick, Pablo, anything that happened. Yeah. So I do like that he, there's some element of mystery there. And, yeah, that's the thing. I do like the two new sidekicks, Pablo and Kelly. Yeah. So Especially Pablo. Yeah. I'm like, they're doing a really good job with him because usually I hate sidekicks. Right. But, for some reason, I always kind of feel that uh Ramy and Rob Tappert have been doing really good with that. Mm-hmm. um I am interested in a cut one when they inter- whenever they're gonna introduce Lucy Lawless's character number into three. The, yeah, yeah. Next number yes, three, next one and then there's this whole subplot with the black girl who mm-hmm. looks like she's gonna be an important character who's been completely separate from that narrative right. yeah. so I think when those enter into the main show we'll see where where this is really going like right. right now it feels like a good continuation but we'll see how all the ingredients
1: yeah and they're only a half an hour long
0: well so. actually i kind of think that'll be good for when this comes out on blu-ray it'll it seems to be set up for binge watching because mm-hmm. it kind of so far it feels like we're we're watching a movie like i kind of feel like the show is set up to be binge watched right now mm-hmm. that's my take on yeah. it yeah what else um, I saw the new uh, this movie, Christie, that got dumped on uh, Netflix by the Weinstein Means, Company. Yeah, totally. mm-hmm. Um, basically, it, it's been out everywhere else in the world. It, it has, but its original title, Satanic. Um, the way mm-hmm. I would describe it is kind of like a, a cross between like a slasher movie and like The Strangers and something like The Following, where it's kind of like a cult of people. Who are sort of anti religious nuts who are killing girls named Christy because the name has a religious connotation. And the main girl is Ashley Green, who's really hopped into the horror genre pretty big. And I think she right. was originally known for like Twilight, but she was in Joe Dante's Bearing, The X, and a lot of other things. She's a good actress, and she's really creepy in this. And like all the strangers esque cult members look, they have like masks covered in like what looks kind of like a reynolds wrap or something but it's lit really well and it looks really kind of freaky yeah you know? uh, please
1: saran wrap because a uh, reynolds wrap is a yeah, that's a brand tin new. foil it looks oh, like okay, right. yeah so there you go it looks cool i mean like i've wa- I, please aluminum foil yeah
0: yeah so basically i would recommend checking it out it has good atmosphere it feels kind of like a throwback it feels like kind of like a halloween-ish so um, other than so there'
1: that, something that's supposed to be released. You know, the Weinstein
0: Company doesn't.
1: know So they what just they they like uh, is it like the the foreign thing where they sold all the the stuff out to it, foreign?
0: Yeah, I think they were trying to figure out a way to market it here, and they kind of just gave up, and it just ran, showed up on Netflix one day. It, it they it, you know they have a big history of that. Like they had is out, it a
1: twenty fifteen.
0: It's a 2014 movie, but it was one I
2: I read a little bit on the backstory. It's definitely like a total dump, though, where they it like it got good reviews and all that, like seem to have a decent word of mouth and then the weinsteins as usual they just just don't know what they're doing it was
0: like it was like all the boys love mandy lane Lane, which is the
2: absolute like most egregious case yeah besides maybe trick-or-treat that's another terrible not one yeah but i mean but another one where
0: it's like oh god
1: why don't they just hold on to all their horror movies and then just throw them all out in october (laughs)
0: You know, I, I kind of feel that people don't go out to watch horror in October anymore. They already dumped uh, Paranormal
2: Activity. I mean, that was also an issue with the VOD thing where um, a lot of theaters were not allowing Paranormal Activity, the ghost dimension in because they had already made a marketing plan to dump it on VOD within five weeks. Yeah, a lot and, of that is the theater owners. Yeah, yeah. so the theater owners are saying no. But, I mean, I was really surprised. It's something you expect, you know, would easily get, like, a month contract. But they say, you know, you're screwing us, we're not interested, and we're done. So, that's another one. Like, I mean, they're really, I mean, I think Goosebumps has won out as the October movie of the year. Like, or of the, you know, the Halloween winner. Mm Because, I mean, it's, you know, Paranormal Activity is gone now pretty much. I mean, like, let's say what it is. And, I mean, Saw is long gone. And you pretty much don't I mean, I know Rob zombie's working on thirty one I heard originally it was supposed to come out, this, yeah that's uh, not coming out for a while while, but I mean originally that was his plan, but there's really nothing left like in terms of you know until they make a new another one where it's gonna be uh whatever I mean horror is always generally low overhead with high um you know high returns for minimal investment I mean because uh I, as far as I've seen, I mean, it didn't fully tank, but I don't think Crimson Peak did very good. No, it
0: it did tank.
2: No, I mean, tanked in the sense of like, I mean, it's I think not it,
0: getting a sequel, but it yeah. didn't tank in the way that like yeah. Gem and the holograms Grams tanked. Did. Yeah, that was, that was which pretty Which officially we heard learned today is now the biggest bomb ever in wide release. Hmm. Yeah. Universal's pulling it from theaters altogether to stop the bleeding.
2: Yeah the yeah.
0: hemorrhaging so uh kirby was there uh any movies you caught in the last week or so
2: um you know i really haven't had a chance to watch much of anything if i do i i can't remember it i tried to think when we i came in like oh did i watch anything at all i mean i i mean i watched halloween like movies so sorry within the last week probably since our last one i mean I always, I basically because it was the anniversary. I watched Halloween, mm-hmm. as I do the 35th anniversary edition. Um, you know what can I say? There's not much to elaborate on. It's it's a classic, but it's really strange that um, how or Halloween's kind of been displaced. I tend now to want to watch Trick or Treat. I think it's because I've watched Halloween so many years during Halloween. Um, I've never done the. Um, I may have tried once or twice, but I've never done, like, 31-day
0: challenge to try to watch it. I just I feel like I watch horror movies every exactly. single day.
1: I, so. I, I, that's kind of what we talked about last time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So
2: I just feel like, I mean, I know that's said, but, like, I really just don't have much of an energy to watch it. But interestingly, I've never actually – I have the uh, – I know Victor's got two. I don't know if you uh, do you have the. there. Set that Scream, Anchor Bay, Scream Factory and stuff put out was the oh, the, the big Halloween yeah. box set. Nope. But um I picked it up, you know, and I've watched a couple things here and there. But I'm kind of going back to trying to rewatch all the... So I watched Halloween, and now I'm starting in reverse. And I'm going to try to watch them backwards. Mm. So, so I'll end with two this time. So I'm starting with Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, which is really one of the only ones I've watched... And I, I've had to stop it, like, seven times because it's so hard to get through. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm
0: kind of, like, the opposite of it. I kind of like that it's not, like, Halloween. But well, no, I like Lords of Salem, and it feels I liked, a lot like I like
2: Lords of Salem. No, there's parts I really like that I didn't realize. So, I, you know... <laughs>
0: and I like I, Wayne Toth's creature design. Yeah.
2: The the thing I like about it is I do like the visual imagery, especially the whole, the uh, the, you know, the it's one i guess because sherry moon zombie doesn't talk too much in those scenes but it's very ethereal it's it's mm-hmm. it's interesting and stuff I, it is i liked lords of salem though a lot see that's the difference but i just didn't my thing with halloween 2 is you can't
0: separate it from the michael myers mythos maybe? no
2: not at all mm-hmm. I, I think it's that i think what i really really dislike in one and i know it's his version but i really hate mcdowell's uh Chris Brown version of, of you know, of I, Loomis. I'm I gonna just,
0: disagree with you. I uh, kind of actually feel that's a really novel take on the character.
2: I like the. I don't. I mean, I like the idea of Loomis being like being driven into this. I'm going to make money. Yeah. I'm not talking about that part. I think that is what logically would happen, that, and, that's exactly
0: where I'm going. But but it. I
2: don't think the way Loomis uh, the way he portrays him and the way he acts. Um, behind the scenes, I don't agree Oh, the with.
0: sort of petty way he treats his assistant. stint—that's not. That's okay. why I
2: said the Chris Brown yeah. way. I just don't like... It just feels forced and really ignorant and stupid, and I don't mean that in a way, and I'm not the kind of person, if you know me, I'm like the least PC person on earth. I just feel it, it's not even just tarnishing donald pleasance's kind See, of portrayal not, i don't here's because I, I don't I'm, feel that you gotta way to separate it no 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 i yeah. don't feel that way okay. it's not that that's like i said okay i i can't say it enough what i mean is is that even the loomis the uh uh malcolm McDowell's p- uh, portrayal of him in the first one isn't a spot-on impersonation of mm. of um of donald pleasance's it's his own creation but it's it's because it's taking it more is in the original film and this is this is the always the argument about Michael Myers is in the original film he is a supernatural force mm-hmm. in this this film he isn't in, no. in in Rob Zombie's Halloween he's a serial killer and it's you know there's no cult of thorn there's none of this this you know superfluous Me, I
0: I guess that's where I differ from a lot of Halloween purists. We're like, I mean, I always my take on the Pleasance version was always that he was a bit crazed, if anything, Mm -hmm. more crazed than Michael Myers for believing the whole idea that Michael Myers is pure evil, the boogeyman. Well, yeah,
2: that's what I mean. Yeah,
0: and to me, I think part of that is a failing of trying to see part two as a logical extension of part one. If anything, part two seems to be like a course correction on rob zombie's part where he's like okay i clearly tried to hew too much to the john carpenter aesthetic because like that's what part one feels like two different movies like that first half feels like a rob zombie movie and then part two is like slavishly trying to be a john carpenter movie yeah it's a it's a good it's
2: i i i actually defend rob zombie's halloween i still enjoy it I don't think it's a perfect movie by any stance. I don't think it's John Carpenter's Halloween. I think it's his own take on it. But I liked the idea. The first half, I like a lot. I like exactly. I like the Rob Zombie side of it where he makes his own thing despite all the inconsistencies Mm -hmm. and illogical issues. Still a good one. Um, I will say two things, and I have mentioned this, I I think, in our previous podcast or whatever, but I really enjoy the scene with. um, uh, the opening scene of of Scout Taylor Compton and surgery mm-hmm. uh it's just it's yeah. really really realistic and then the um the uh I can't say uh, the death of a certain female character is really brutal too oh, like yeah. i forgot like how brutal it was in it no it is it is it, it's, i know um, what you're talking yeah about. so it's yeah. it's well done um other than that um
0: not too I much. was I was
2: pretty pretty blessed. I I got to see King Diamond last night. Uh even though I'm on right uh, off. Was hours it of very sleep, theatrical? It was it very theatrical. It was the same. I saw him at Mayhem Fest too. Um, he, but I was really excited about this show because he played uh, uh second album Abigail in its entirety, and uh, that's my favorite my favorite King Diamond record. And he was just he was on point a hundred percent. Um he actually cancelled isn't Tucson cancelled his last show because he had like the unholy squirty bottoms or something, oh, so wow. <laughs> he uh he didn't actually play um so it was really good awesome i also they had the procession of souls in Tucson and that was amazing to see very beautiful and um uh Victor and I could talk a little bit about tucson comic con on uh, our visit there, but the only thing i I have to say is unfortunately, I woke up early yesterday to the extremely sad news that Gunnar Hansen has passed away. Um, anyone who knows me or if I've talked in this podcast, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is my second favorite film of all time. And um, I had the pleasure of meeting Gunnar numerous times, and he was always amazing. And um, I I, I, I kind of said it in, a, uh, in an Instagram post, but I just really, really... Um, I, you know, it's not like a, a sadness, like a and stuff. He was just such a genuinely nice guy, and um, I feel like he never got his fair shake. Um, but I, I hope everyone goes out and watches the '74 Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and then I think I recommended to people since I think very few have seen it. But he does an amazing comedic turn in the uh, mockumentary "Brutal Massacre." Mm. Um, it's definitely worth checking out. So both of them. Sorry, I'm going uh, go right no. Ahead.
1: No, lucky for Gunner that. Um, the uh uh all the like the the cons and everything have been uh so much more lucrative for people because i think he's got like a he had his, like a second life there like you'd oh, always yeah. see him yeah. like uh, there and get the appreciation that he oh, deserved. and he was an
2: he was an established author and i mean he was just a re- he was a brilliant actor i mean no
1: and he was a really nice guy and he too. was just
2: so nice i think that's the biggest part is he was always super nice very thoughtful um you know and it's it's it, i i I will say, because I've already kind of said the, the piece and stuff, but I will say uh, on a quick note that it's very interesting that I've seen online. This is star kind of a war among, like, horror um, icons about oh, death yeah. with I, uh, a certain Mister uh, Savini. No, I, and, I, I, uh, I saw that. Yeah, basically. Andrew Birn Birnarski. I, I will
0: say, like, uh, basically, Andrew Bernarski did a kind of like a boohoo comment when yeah. he died. But and then Savini's comment was more along it was like, don't show a picture of me, but like, just if I die, just. Remember our, a story about me and share with your friend. I think Savini's comment was kind of misunderstood. No, I
2: didn't. It's not that I thought Savini's comment was misunderstood because Savini is a dick, period. But it really was. I get where he was coming from. Yeah. But yeah, yeah it just wasn't 100%. You know, there. we don't
0: really need to get into it too much. But basically, you know, all my experiences with Andrew Brunarski have been very negative. He was here for people in Arizona. He was at the AZ Rapture Con a few years back in Tempe and got completely trashed and uh basically took over the pa at one point took yeah. over people's boots just kind of a dick all around well
2: and the, the comment and i'll leave it at this it wasn't about i wasn't i was trying to open a little like a May discussion but the whole point for me was is that it wasn't about the gossip or anything it's about that we've lost a lot of icons of horror in the last a lot of really beloved people and it's you know, obviously, making people think more of, especially this generation of kids who grew up in seventies, eighties, nineties, and the early aughts, who have, who've really grown up with these people, and it's like, you know, people have very different views on death and dying and all that. But I feel like, you know, it wasn't—I was not even trying. To, I mean, I'm going to call Sabine a Dick because he is, but I actually liked a lot of the energy of his comments or essence of it. I think people did misunderstood it, misunderstand it, but I also think that um in the end this whole thing has been kind of like it's one of those things where again i i truly believe people just are so in a rush to have their own statement about things they don't even spend oh, yeah, time definitely. to honor people and so i just want to say i i hope everyone takes some opportunity here to reflect if you didn't even know gunner hansen or were, wasn't we're not a fan of uh texas chainsaw to please give it a chance um and uh you know just or read up on some of the things he wrote and said because mm-hmm. he was just a wonderful man so rest in power and peace brother
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah um, adam anything that you would want to talk about prior to our engagement i think adam's,
2: adam's got of the, of the list here main meat I of I the discussion much of stuff uh, i
1: heard 28 items so i expect 28 items. i <laughs> no, just, he was joking uh, yeah i'm just a little snarky tonight so don't <laughs> mind me uh I today I watched something that you have to have your tissues while you, your tissues while you watch it. Uh-huh. Uh, do you remember Bat Kid?
0: Oh yeah, yeah. The I heard about that. They made a movie about. So that. there's
1: a documentary called Bat Kid Begins that's on VOD, and it it tells you the whole story from beginning to end, like how it happened and um, you know how it exploded more than anything else. Yeah, it kind of
0: became a phenomenon.
1: Yeah, and how. Um, you know, word got around and everybody just started to rally behind um this make a wish. And it it's just I mean, I I had I couldn't hold myself back through a majority of it. I mean, you know, it's just, you know, this innocent little kid uh who went through the, you know, just horrible, horrible, you know, treatment and um and came through it out the other end and then, you know, got this make a wish uh that was above and beyond like anybody ever mm-hmm. has seen before. Um, so it's really inspiring. It was really interesting to see all the little, all the little nuances of it. Um, I was just an observer from the outside. You know, I just saw some like little, you know, news pieces on it, but um, just really well done. Um, it. I thought it was going to be maybe a fluff piece for um, Make a Wish, but it's really not that. Um, they just took it. They they made it very straightforward. Uh, there was some pro- some surprising. Results at the very end that I did not know about, which you know only further, um, uh, I guess, uh, uh, d- tells you like how m- how media kind of influences your opinions sometimes about how some stuff happens, or what the consequences are. Uh, that the movie kind of sets straight, which I thought was really, really, really good um so yeah i i recommend it if you know i love documentaries you guys love documentaries well love documentaries but make sure you have your tissues i don't care who you are you say that was vod right yeah okay uh and these are all vod call it call girl of oh i'm sorry go ahead oh no no no. i I, I know i did
0: have a brief theatrical run at the shea 14
1: yeah Yeah. and some of them do like those vod releases you know they'll do either at the same time or they'll do something a little bit before it or.
2: I just realized I totally forgot, but I don't want to cut you off. I did see Tales of Halloween.
1: Oh yeah. Awesome. Yeah, because cool. you there's, there's I totally the forgot about that
2: uh as I was falling asleep when I went and saw it because I was so tired. Oh, yeah. Um because I went to the later show, but um very good horror anthology. But I also because I think it's on VOD now.
0: Yes. So yes. check it out.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh Call Girl of Cthulhu. I've Ooh. seen
0: that pop up on VOD. It, it How looks was that? it looks funny. Okay. It could be oh. Well, enjoy. It, no, I. It looks like it could be funny, but not my <laughs> humor. Uh, oh, I'm a Lovecraft dude, so I got it, Is it, it good? It, go on, Adam.
1: Oh yeah. Uh, so uh, it's not really good. Okay, that's what I would have thought. Um, it kind of has like a a little bit of a, a slither thing toward the end, or even um like from beyond kind of thing. Uh, but where it really well, for one thing, it's all shot on video. You can tell, oh, so that's going to really all right. bug that's, you. That's yeah. What um, I, mean if, fuck I out. guess th- they just and there was kind of there kind of a feel of like burying the X to it. All right. In yeah, some it's ways, a big yeah. I'm just pushing you just even further away, Victor. But so I'll just kind of put my attention on Kirby here because he's just smiling like crazy. Uh, the
2: <laughs> it's like watching uh, Victor squirm. It's like let's fucking marathon, man,
0: Victor, right now. Uh,
1: so I. I was hoping it would kind of go down the road of like being very trauma. Yeah, you because know, everything That's was That's kind of very...
0: what it looked like from the trailer. Like it's kind of, it's a, it's a kid, a male who's been brought up in a Cthulhu cult, right? And well, he has when to get laid.
1: It, when you call it Call Girl of Cthulhu, it pretty much explains itself. Yeah. It's this girl who's a call, uh, es, I'm sorry, escort. Uh, Sex who, worker
2: is actually the preferred nomenclature now. Okay, sorry, but they
1: yes. do refer her as she refers to herself as an escort. So okay. I guess I I can use that nomenclature, but she has a birthmark on her butt, and this the 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 cult of Cthulhu is looking for this call girl uh, with this birthmark on her butt, and then hilarity ensues. Oh, but there's no hilarity to it. Now, now I would not. I just I do have to say one thing about it, and this is a thing that really really bothered me you know how directors will take um scenes and have them go from like one scene of let's say somebody walking down the street and then the next it kind of flows into somebody like maybe you know cutting with a knife or something yeah, yeah, but yeah it yeah. all mm-hmm. kind of flows into each other um or the dissolve where it's like the sun, but then it turns into the egg, you know, on the pan and the next. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah.
0: Like I, I've seen that in some horror movies where like somebody's about to get like, you know, killed and then suddenly it's somebody chopping meat or something. Yes. Yes.
1: So take that to 1 billion percent. This movie takes every single scene change. Every single one is a visual pun is not a visual pun. Every time. Sometimes it is. Oh, God. It's all a verbal pun. Wait, what? So, here's an example. Okay. Somebody's on the phone talking to someone and goes, Oh, man, that was John. He's such an ass. Next scene. Is a donkey up, or a butt? Nope, close up of some girl's ass. Oh, God. Yeah, that sounds bad. Every single transition on is a joke is a pun oh god and after the first few times you're like oh yeah you know that's kind of kind of cute every single one i feel like, <laughs> I feel like that would be half.
0: funny like in a comic book or something where like you're you turn the page in something like that but that seems
1: no uh, it's all, all i can think tedious. of in my
0: head is the uh Hokie. simpsons one where homer makes
2: the uh the dating video for Ned and you keep using the star wipe and Lisa's yeah. like oh, yeah. you can use something other than star wipe dad and the star wipe to the yeah, yeah and so i don't i mean that's of course my simpsons al yeah. brain always thinks that that's unfortunate because the lovecraft thing it's like it either works really well as a short overall or it's got to go comedy so that's a kind of a bummer yeah yeah but
1: what i was trying to say about trauma is it it it, it doesn't even get to like trauma level it of just, just
0: killer pad or something i mean yeah it just kind of yeah.
1: just falls flat uh the last one that i saw was amy which is the amy winehouse um oh, documentary yeah, yeah. where it's actual footage of her because i guess her manager at the time was um videotaping um her before she was uh, a big star i've heard it's star. really sad it's extremely sad yeah um i didn't need you know tissues it's not uh it's not the bat kid begins or anything but um it's really tragic you Man. know to see like her as you know maybe like 18 or 19 years old uh just going on the road having her own you know record that she's promoting and singing and mm. um and then just uh the 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 influences around her and it kind of reminds me maybe what kurt cobain was complaining about at times of like you know he didn't know if he could handle the stardom yeah kind of thing and the things they did
0: just showed up on hulu we talked about that a back i need to watch that yeah yeah i'm definitely gonna check that one out
1: but i i recommend it i'm you know i wasn't i i liked amy's winehouse's music i was sick of her uh celebrity on television you know just yeah. too much of it the paparazzi and everything i was sick of hearing about her but i did like her music mm. and this is all you know uh, uh signed off by the winehouse family so you know right. it, it is you know they talk to mom and dad and everybody and um you know and then a lot of footage and music and everything so just mm. to kind of get that timeline you know up to uh you know spoiler alert she dies
0: well do you feel like this one you got a, more of a pi- realistic picture that versus uh, what's the Kurt Cobain one that was signed off by Courtney Love?
1: Oh, no, that was just terrible. That was just terribly heavier H- no.
0: Montage of Heck? Yeah, Montage of Heck, which Adam really didn't like. No.
1: No, this is different. Okay. This, I mean, this, right. is, this no. is It's more...
2: kind of interesting. You wonder if in, like, since Kurt Cobain's been dead for more than 20 years, if in 20 years, that's what people will think about Amy Winehouse. Because honestly, like, I, I don't ever hear anything about her anymore, and she's only been dead for a few years, so it's. I like, just
0: don't think she had like the cultural impact. that no, 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 not
2: at all. But I mean, I mean, she didn't have the most prolific output, but she had quite a bit of material. Um,
1: but this didn't have the controversy tied to it. That's this is more kind of like a real straightforward. Oh no! I mean, she was one of those
2: ones. I mean, I think most people knew Kurt Cobain was probably going to end up dead sooner than later, but. With Amy Winehouse, it's sad to say, but it was almost a definite you know, it's gonna it was gonna definite it was gonna happen. Yeah. I mean, up until I mean it was like a week before I remember seeing some reports, like, ah, she seems like she's
0: kinda on the edge. Yeah. Well, that's like our celebrity culture now, you know, True. it almost satirizes itself. I mean, and speaking of satire, that kind of ties in well to our uh mainmost topic of discussion in this episode. The films of Paul Verhoeven.
1: Ooh, yeah! Our first director spotlight. Yeah, I think it
0: is right. Yeah, yeah.
1: There was only one other time that we kind of got into the John Carpenter thing, and it kind of took over. Yeah, but it wasn't necessarily. It was like, more you about
0: in the music Walk. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You I know.
2: think it's a good choice though for uh for a cult classic focused. Spotlight. Given
0: his American output pretty much yeah. is exclusively t- those types of films, you know, and it does tie into our, you know, screening of Total Recall this Saturday, November 14th, tickets at Zia, com. plug plug. But um, there's, you know, when I think of Paul Verhoeven, I don't immediately think of Total Recall. I mean, honestly, the first movie that, you know, jumps into my brain is clearly RoboCop. Mm-hmm you know uh
1: when you were first like uh, actually like knew him or knew or just uh, remember of a movie no
0: when i first heard of him and because i think i feel like this is like the movie that got him known in Mm -hmm. the united states because i think before this i mean looking at imdb pretty much did like german movies for the most part right he's uh uh, dutch uh, dutch Dutch movies right sorry about that they're all they're all the same to me because I'm racist. No. They're gonna throw your wooden shoes at you, man. <laughs> yeah, I'll plug that dike really quick. Whoa, <laughs> <laughs> hey, that <laughs> one better
2: than the joke Steve and I had at uh, Tucson Comic Con, which I'm <laughs> not gonna repeat here. But yeah, well, yeah. Robocop '87. Yes. That really was I mean, he did flesh and blood before, but that was I'm not really familiar with that. It, movie. Well, that's what I mean. I, I think the thing that struck me the most, and I didn't try to like research anything, but I just kinda wanted to look at a snapshot, like an IMDB. Uh-huh. And I mean his American output was eighty-seven to two thousand.
0: Yeah, pretty it much. It was a
2: thirteen year career, and that's it. And it was you know, like six, six, seven films. Mm-hmm. And so that's really interesting to think of someone that that is how who had a huge impact. But, yeah, it isn't really well-known, but if you mention any of their films, it's instantly, like, recognized, well, and, and appreciated. you know,
0: all his, you know, you know all his American mm-hmm. movies, either. I mean, it's not like, you know, somebody like Rennie Harland, who, like, you know, also foreign filmmaker, and you can name maybe four of his movies, and he's still cranking stuff out, and nobody even knows or cares. Sorry.
2: I actually did get uh, something, what was it, the... Oh, God, it was one of those, like, IFC 2-packs at Best Buy uh-huh. for, like, $5, and I didn't even realize till it came on the credit screen that Rennie Harlan directed one. One's, like, a sci-fi original picture, and the other one is, like, basically on par, too. And it's, uh, yeah. so, you know, it's definitely, yeah, he's still cranking stuff out. What but, was the
1: title? Do you remember?
2: Uh Oh, I'm going to get the name wrong. I actually studied the incident before, but it's the Diet Love pass or Dyatlov? it's the fam- it's a famous case in russia of these hikers who were found frozen um 100 percent. but wasn't like it was all these weird circumstances regarding it hmm. and so um i never actually finished i don't watch the first like 20 minutes but hmm. it was a found footage movie yeah so you um, know god here let me torment yeah. victor for let, a bit let me not watch that movie <laughs> but all. um
1: Wh- when when did that When was that released?
2: Like, probably within the last year or two. It sounds familiar. So that's what
1: Rennie Harlan's doing. He's just kind of doing just whatever he He can. He sure as
2: hell ain't doing the next Die Hard movie. So So do you
1: think, like, he's coming up with the concepts or... or No, I think think he's a gun for hire. Yeah, exactly.
2: He's He's a Brett Ratner. Yeah, or a Joe Dante at this point in time, where I don't think they, you know, they have established films. But, I mean, it was weird to even think that the last film was Hollow Man.
0: Yeah, his for last Paul, Verhoeven, Paul Verhoeven. That, no, Which is be- a really weird movie if you look at in it And a now. really dark movie, It's too. really weird, really dark. Like, I, I've watched that in the last couple years, and I'm just like, you know, the part where he's, like, ghost rapes Rona Mitra, it's, like, really fucking dark. Yeah, it really is. You well, know, it's just one of those ones where... It, it makes you question Christian uh, Sla or uh, not Christian Slayer. um... Kevin, Kevin Bacon's Bacon. career path, you know? Yeah. Well, that was... I mean,
2: he did Stir Echoes, yeah. and which unfortunately, of course, came out with the Sixth Sense thing. But, I yeah. mean, with... I remember seeing Hollow Man theatrically, so, and it was one of those ones, like, on opening day, and I just remember people walked out, and I don't
0: think it people... It is, because
2: basically the whole thing is, I got this way of being invisible, I'm going to rape r- this girl. girl. And I'm going <laughs> to be, like... You know, it's like... I, because so, I think the last Invisible Man movie I remember was Memoirs of an Invisible Man. Yeah, with Chevy Chase with and Daryl With Chevy Anna. Chase and Daryl Hannah, yeah. So, I mean, I don't think people remember it. It's not like a big genre, but, you know, the effects were there. I mean, at that, especially at that point in time with Hollow with Man. But I just think people... I, I don't think they thought he was going to do something like lovable, laugh-worthy shenanigans while he was invisible. Because obviously there was a horror or a thriller bent. Yeah, but I, mean, I it think just at the time like it evil. was kind
0: of like promoted something. crosstalk. Yeah, yeah just you're yeah. talking on top of oh, each other Oh, basically, I'm sorry. Yeah. Basically, sorry. I'm saying uh, in terms of when that movie was came out, I remember being marketed along the lines of something like Species. True. You know, more like sci-fi thriller, but it's a straight up like, disturbing horror movie well
1: to tell you how uncomfortable it was for me well, that came out in 2000 so i mean i you know i was like in, what in my 30s almost at that wait how long ago is was, it? That was 2000 yeah well late 20s uh i went to see it with my mom because i'm like mm. oh you got to see it i love paul verhoven you know and this looks oh, like oh a God. sci-fi kind of whatever <laughs> that and sounds blah blah, like blah, blah blah
0: yeah
1: well it wasn't showgirls or anything but yeah the the, the rapey stuff was I mean everybody just felt uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean you you felt it in the room, you know. But uh no, I remember the the fourth man was the first thing that I ever saw from him. And that was one that just kinda went through the cracks. Yeah, I don't and remember And was on that at all. well that's like when I was little, little, little well not little, little that was eighty three. Um, but when it was on cable, they what is played it on Cinemax a lot. It was very similar to Basic Instinct, okay, in many ways. And they and he does kind of credit himself for almost plagiarizing uh, Basic Instinct, or even using it as kind of um, inspiration, an inspiration or a pseudo sequel mm. or prequel would be the the fourth interesting yeah fourth man but it's you know it's all in dutch so it's yeah you know it's still it's just a, for, well, a foreign release for us but native release for him um but yeah robocop was the big
0: yeah i think you know if you were a child in the 80s there's no way you could escape robocop i mean this is a super hard r-rated movie that was again gro- you had to be a child of the uh this is back when like super hard R movies were targeted towards children. Yeah, and do you? Oh, without do a you, doubt.
1: Do you remember? I well, I remember. I thought it was going to be comedic because I'm like, why would you call a movie RoboCop? It seems I, like I the was juvenile name
0: to see, me. See, and the thing is, I was a kid then. I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure I was like seven or eight, and that name just sounded cool to me. Like, I remember, that's one of the movies where, like, I could clearly remember, even that, you like, part man, part machine, all cop. It uh-huh. sounds really stupid. At the time, I was like, that sounds awesome. Yeah,
2: that was, that was definitely opposite. the comic book year yeah. for me, too. So it was like, in, but that was that cross cross era of, like, it hit the nail on the head that, like, hard R films were directed to work to kids. I mean... I grew up. I mean, that was the thing. There was, you know, we could not watch movies with nudity or like anything like that, like anything sexual. We it's the classic American standard. But violence was okay. Yeah. And my father was a huge proponent. I mean, but hero, it was heroes to like watch Terminator and Predator. Yeah. And I mean, these were extremely dark, violent yeah. you look-
0: movies. But it was like, oh, that's like a, that's like a superhero. Yeah. Like. That's clearly how RoboCop was sort and that of special, What on a, on its surface level. I mean, but, you know, when you get older and you watch and you see all this subversive subtext, which, you know, it's, it's not that deep, but it's there like all like basically how RoboCop is a product. And it's along the lines of making fun of consumerism the way something like Repo Man is, you know, down to there being like fake commercials in the movie for like, you know, uh, a game about nuclear war during the 80s. That's a you know, but a, a Parker Brothers parody, you know, and then like you know the fact that the car commercial they keep harping on, like it sounds terrible from the description. The car, like it gets like five miles per gallon or something ri- ridiculous, and it's called the six thousand SUX because right. it sucks, you know. I mean, it, yeah, at the time, I didn't. Catch, I buy that for a dollar. Yeah, I did not catch on to the six thousand SUX thing until I saw it, like way later, and I was a teenager, like, oh, I get it, you know. But at the time, it's just like, oh, that's like the cool car, you know.
2: All I can say is, in the, uh, it's kind of weird. We're just talking about home as like an uncomfortable thing as a kid. I mean, I gotta say, I like all like horror movies or scary things, I, I always remember Paul Verhoeven has said that. Peter Weller's death scene was supposed to be akin to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's pretty much the way it felt. Especially once I saw Passion of the Christ, I was like, this is really similar. Like, you know, years, like 20 years later almost, but I mean, it was like, man this is it was hard it was so hard for me to watch Mm. as a kid i just
0: no it's like literally one of the most disturbing uh, along the lines of the way kenny is killed at the beginning by the ed 209 which was even cut down in the u.s i mean that's just like he's just a sack of meat getting shot by bullets for a good like 10 seconds Mm -hmm. it's like just and you're just like like oh my god like i watching it now i'm like but you realize that's the genius thing about Robocop is that as you're watching it, they're trying to sell you on the idea of how cool he is right from the get-go. Like and it's like an old school monster movie, pretty much, where you like really don't see Robocop until like half the movie's over. You just see him in shadows or like reflected or through like cracked glass. But basically the whole movie's trying to sell you on the idea of like, you know, a Frankenstein that's been brought back from the dead to be like a product. And that's the whole genius of, like, the whole directive for, like, you know, he's trying to do his job. It's like, we can't have our products turning against us. Even on his little visor, it's like, uh, you know, product violation, Mm -hmm. you know? It is geniusly subversive movie.
1: That's what I love about Verhoeven and, and, you know, like his, his, you know, the big chunk of the American films, you know, including, like, even Showgirls, which I really enjoyed, Mm -hmm. uh, that his his eye from the Dutch point of view of what American film and media and everything is so spot on and satirical in a way that you don't really see from a lot of other mm-hmm. um, directors where the way that he pulls it off is he sucks everybody in and everybody wants to see it. Not every type of director can do that yeah and then poke fun at you as you're like watching it going this is the kind of stuff you like to watch yeah so i'm gonna make it even crazier
2: and i'm not i'm not by any means an expert on berhoven and i'm certainly not an expert on uh, showgirls uh, well maybe some market research there um they uh but no i mean i really think though with uh, the time of, i've been to holland and stuff and i have some good friends from there i will say out of even the Western or or Central European countries. Holland is very, very um, liberal, obviously. I mean, people think of Amsterdam, but I do see culturally they are way more in depressing limits than a lot of the other European countries, including about violence, because that's very, not not as verboten, not Verhoeven in, uh, (laughs) in society, is literally that i mean you just you just don't show it and mm-hmm. i mean as i mean you go on about like the 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 video nasties and a million other things um that with that kind of censorship and um it's also interesting like i said i mean i even realized that verhoeven currently is almost 80 years old he's 77 mm-hmm. so i mean you think he was doing these films his 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 prime american films in his 50s so it's like you know roughly Man. there so i'm like it's kind of interesting to think of this, you know, you'd think it would be this young up-and-coming director. I feel
0: like that's never the case, especially yeah. when you look at something like even Fury Road, which came out this year. Like, George Miller, also in his 80s, and he does, like, the most contemporary. Oh, no,
2: I mean, I think people keep doing stuff. I just meant that that I think that... It's kind of interesting. Yeah, that you I would think, think it, it would just, be a younger. I feel.
0: Yeah, my take is it's more like a sharpened, like you know, mm-hmm. an older person. It's like I exactly. you know more examined eye. I mean, especially, and I feel like that continues even into like Total Recall. You know, or again, it's one of those movies where they take a Philip K. Dick story and kind of don't really follow the plan and make it like this weird action movie. But then it's a weirdly subversive action movie because the genius of Total Recall is the fact that you never, even when the movie ends, and I mean, I'm going to be frank and spoiling it, you don't know if the movie actually happens. The whole thing, it, from the point where he goes into the recall office, he even tells you, oh, blue sky on Mars, that's different. And that's right. the ending of the movie. So basically, you're being sold with the happy ending action movie, but it's basically the whole thing could just be in this construction worker's head. Right, yeah. With his very twisted ideas about his failing marriage and, you know. yeah, and, and Everyone's favorite on-screen domestic violence of yeah. all time. Oh, like yeah. it's it's crazy
2: that to think of that too. I mean, as a kid and stuff. I mean, like it was it just blew me away. Visually, that film just astounded me as a child. It has like, some
0: of the most amazing practical effects, effects you'll ever see in any movie. Agreed. But like it, it, it takes some of like Arnold's like corny one-liner deaths from like Commando and takes them to an insane level of depravity. Which again, you're being sold as being awesome. Like I'm your wife. Bang! Consider that a divorce. Oh my God! This is the hero of your movie, mm-hmm. you know, and you want him to end up with a hooker, you know, and kill the president of a country, basically, or, or of a world. I mean, it's a really twisted like screenplay. I don't think it's the kind of movie that would get made today, which is why the remake is so radically different. I think.
2: I actually, it's one of the few
0: remakes I've actually refused to see. Yeah, I have
2: no interest in it. Yeah,
0: you're not missing anything. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those things where like they are looking at, like, well, we, you know, the title has some cachet, but God, we can't tell this story. So like huge chunks of the movie are like not there. You know, and then we go from right into that to like starship troopers. Yeah, which, which we're talking about uh, perverting a story, the yeah. original story, yeah. Uh, Robert Heinlein. So we can't say Verhoeven has a lot of respect for like the masters of American science fiction, but still that's just a really depraved, weird you know, when like the, the what the Denouement of your movie <laughs> is saying it, the biggest cheer in the movie, it's afraid. You know, yeah. and the whole thing is this like weird propaganda thing you know, to get white kids off to fight aliens in a in a way that they, they don't even know it's like you can look at it as a Vietnam parable,
1: even yeah, and it's very fascist, too, yes, you know,
0: well, a lot of people said varying things
2: about it. It's interesting that I saw it i I saw it. I remember opening day and stuff with my brother and father, and I was just. Like, so excited to see it, and I still love it. It's weird, and I know we've talked about this before, but I would say it's in my top five most rewatchable films of all time. I put it up there with, like, Big Trouble in Little China, Blade 2. I could literally watch it at any time. Mm. If it was on the TV and I was passing by, I'd stop and start watching it. Oh, yeah. And and I think it's because it plays so strangely. It's, it's both its structure and stuff, um, but it's just this... Um, it's i don't even know it's like it's like the film mars attack should have been instead of yeah. being funny it should have been this like dark intergalactic war basically um, cuz in the original cards from 62 that's kind of what it was um it was very perverse and and i've always felt that starship troopers is it's another example too of verhoven not, I'm not going to say glorifying violence, but bringing it to the forefront and people just cheering.
0: like. Well, you can look just at all so of them excited. as like deconstruction of genres. I mean, RoboCop is like the deconstruction of like the Western and like this is this deconstruction of a war movie, you know, where it's like Americans love like their jingoistic heroes. So let's give you this jingoistic uh, hero movie where basically the government is fascist.
1: Well, and you, you have to look at the... I thought that one of the most brilliant things is because in Starship Troopers you saw all, you know, the dead human bodies, all the blood, all this just, abs, you know, the all this stuff being done to people um, that should have been really horrific but kind of desensitized you to everything. The one scene that they had a sensor on is when Neil Patrick Harris uh, introduces... Um, uh, what was it? Um, wasn't there like a the
2: mother brain like the, the right. mother, body. yeah when he's yeah. doing that he's got like the cattle prod yeah. and all yeah. that and yeah. when
1: they do the thing you know they have the censored thing which is really funny because you know this is just like a big bug yeah as opposed to like we're watching all that but it's it's still
2: it's kind of that you could say is like a vietnam allegory because many of the photos of like children when napalm was raining down on them in vietnam was censored you know uh, you know in a lot of publications and stuff because that's the weird part in it when you look at it even it's like the all american football game mm-hmm. even though i know it's supposed to be argentina um circa the year xxx you know it's like it's it is supposed to be though the like the all american values and that and then the whole point of obviously about servitude and stuff and i mean I I personally just say probably my favorite michael ironside performance of all time mm-hmm. like He just commands the film, literally not only in his position uh, or his role, but, I mean, he – it just – it's like when I was watching Turbo Kid this year, I was like, oh, my God, it's like the sequel to Starship Troopers, but – verhoeven i just think as a director it's just like i said it's not a huge amount of output especially for americans i i full disclosure i've actually never seen any of his dutch films no neither have i and oh, um yeah so i mean I've, so i so i'm comprised schoolist but i will say even with basic instinct and um showgirls it's still the same presence the same thing it's well, the seedy underbelly mm-hmm. of the world and his his he's complete
0: lack of fear of exposing yeah. it right. I, I could before we jump into that because i have something to say about sure. those two movies especially the fact that they share the same uh, screenwriter joe Estherhouse, which <laughs> dictates a <laughs> lot yeah, of yeah, does. the movie um i will say a, a good spiritual successor i think for starship troopers is uh, edge of tomorrow right down in the just it's almost like seeing the movie from a different perspective because you're getting like the m- fascist marketing guy being thrown into sure. this war he's been selling True. you know down to the bugs and everything so if you haven't seen that see those two together would be a good double feature i think
1: yeah Looks i just 100
0: percent agree i
1: would say just really quick on like his his earlier stuff is uh him and uh rutger Hauer. a lot of uh the movies were a pairing of those two um so it's the early career of rutger Hauer as well which is really, really cool to watch, like Turkish Delight and and uh, Soldier of Orange. Soldier of Orange is is one that should really be seen. Um, that's just an excellent film. But I mean, Verhoeven, you know, he comes from a military background, mm-hmm. so I mean, it kind of makes sense that a lot of his earlier stuff was either like medieval or uh, you know military. Um, you know, it's just it's what he it's just maybe the stories that he mm-hmm. had to tell. I looked up; it's kind of
2: interesting. He's only done; he's got a new one coming out soon. But he's only made three films since two thousand
1: six. Have you yeah. seen any of those? Black Book is incredible. Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely see Black Book. Yeah, Black it kind of kind of reminds me of uh, Black Book. Reminds me of, uh, a little bit if uh, like Pan's Labyrinth without wow. without the fantasy element to it. It's it's a it's a World War Two piece um and at times it's really uncomfortable but it's more straightforward than what he's done before but it's just so well done the acting is like way above and mm-hmm. beyond kind of one of those sleeper movies that uh just didn't get a wide release but any anytime i've shown it to anybody they said wow this is a really good movie mm, i have to check that out yeah, it's really good
0: yeah so you know we are as we're nearing the end we're here we're getting to the one-two punch of paul verhoeven's mm-hmm. career of uh Basic Instinct and Showgirls, both written by Scuzzlord Joe Esterhaus. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll I'll probably go on record as saying the only reason Showgirls probably got made was because of the success of Basic Instinct. I would probably agree with and that. And an unduly amount being placed on the writing of Joe Esterhaus. But I think Basic Instinct, you know, it aside from kind of being like this like sort of weird film noir erotic thriller, Mm -hmm. um, it's pretty masterfully shot and directed. And I think it, it comes from a career term with Sharon Stone, who we had also worked with on total recall. And, uh, Michael Douglas giving a really different performance at that time from what I'd seen in his career. Oh, yeah, yeah. But he ended up kind of channeling that in other things like disclosure with Demi
1: Moore. Yeah, he kind or, of used that as a launching pad for yeah. his other characters. That he was
0: um, but basically, typecast. yeah, basically it's this whole thing where, you know, a weird uh, love triangle scenario. And I think part, it also benefited a lot from being one of like the first mainstream movies to kind of deal with like the sort of bisexual element right you know which at the time i thought was whoa this is a really edgy movie Mm -hmm. you know was like 92 well i would say
2: what was it uh i think only the crying game had a more controversial or talked about scene than maybe basic instinct right and uh it's it's weird to think about but i would say first and foremost come on man it also was jesse spano's tits finally Oh, Show yeah, girls. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm come sure. on. It was – I mean, anybody who was raised and saved by the bell was, like, super excited. But I also – I always thought that – Um, I think that was the first NC-17 film I ever yes, it really was. remember. It was,
0: it's the movie that killed the NC-17 rating. Yeah. That's what you got to well, remember. Well, because I remember,
2: like, Henry and June was the first NC-17 film, and there was a <laughs> couple others that I, I – you know, it was, it was, like, hidden in the, the shadows yeah. the crypts. Like, you never heard –
0: I that one was the, like, the big deal. Yeah, because so. at the time, you know, the X-Rating, again, for people not of age, you know, X-Rated was, like, porn. So, basically, what happens MPAA came up with NC-17, which was supposed to be, like, art house nudity. Because, again, this is coming into the ni- early 90s, where it's like, well, you know, every R movie is hyper-violent, but anytime we put some tits there, it's like... The hell, and at the time, you know, going circling back to Basic Instinct, the big, t- the talked about scene was the fact that Sharon Stone's being interrogated. She's not wearing panties, so the officers are trying to see her vagina. Which, again, not a big deal in European movies, but when you thought about nudity in America, it's you know, tits and ass, vagina. That's genitals. It's like, whoa, this is a whole different monster here <laughs> but basically you know they, they're like okay so this is the second Esther esterhouse movie and they just all right we're gonna take this nc-17 and make it happen and it's that movie is a well, fucking circus yeah
1: it, and well i mean even to go a little further on the nc-17 just real quick is the reason why they did that is because then it would it would be more accepted in other kind of mainstream theaters because if it had an X rating, you were dead in the water. Or if, if they refused the rating, you were even more dead in the water. Like mm-hmm. if you went out unrated, unrated. nobody would play yeah. it except for like an art house here and there. And that really wasn't like a big thing at that time. I loved Showgirls. I saw it in the theater. I, then uh, at, not too soon after that, um, I went on a trip to Vegas with two of my buddies. You uh, check out we were the like store? <laughs> <laughs> well, I
2: always, anytime I hear someone mispronounce, first thing I think of.
1: And I still hear people mispronounce it. <laughs> the thing is, is a, a lot of the locations didn't exist anymore yeah. because Vegas changed so much. Mm-hmm. And this was only maybe like a year after it, w- it was out. Uh, that was when
2: Vegas became a family destination. Yeah. It was
1: starting to become a family destination, but it still had that stink. Yeah, uh, th- But... Uh, we We staged a couple of the um, like stills from the film where she first gets there and starts doing the slots and then that sleazy guy kind of comes around and is like hey you know blah blah Mm -hmm. blah 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 you know so i have my buddies i'm like okay you stand here you do that you know and you're gonna be her and you're gonna be him and (laughs) it was kind of fun just to kind of you know make up like the stills from the movie as much as we could
0: yeah it's always fun to do i remember when we did bill and ted's excellent adventure i did the one where i was a sigmund freud with the hot dog at the hot dog on a stick yeah right yeah but uh yeah, the thing with with Showgirls is it was a very polarizing movie. I mean, it didn't do well at the box office at all. Right. Um, and you know, it's if you go in there expecting something along the lines of a basic instinct or even like a, it, it, you get very much the feeling that Esther House just kind of overtook that movie. And oh, you, he got very. Excited. He's not, you know. Uh, some of the sh- scenes are shot very enthusiastically, but I could tell you, I'm sure Paul Verhoeven just was checked out when Dude. the the Kyle McLaughlin, uh jesse spano sex scene there right
1: but do you do you think like joe House is like a big drug user oh like um, he, he was w- sitting there just doing like lines of cocaine as he's i think this so
0: stuff? basically that's what he wrote an autobiography and that's kind of the way he sold himself i don't know if that he's self mythologizing but it's a mood where like the studio was like this guy's got the pulse right. and when they saw the movie and how he kind of just took it yeah, over. and it's running
1: at like 288 you know bpms
0: so. yeah it, it's just kind of insane it's it's a crazy movie it's like a very like it's a star is born on coke uh-huh. basically you know right. and it, you watch it now as a camp vehicle and that's kind of how it finally found its way to profitability it, was you know all that it's always played up as like a gay movie I, yeah a, well i
2: was gonna say when you were talking about recreating the f- scenes with your friends i was like yes that's actually now only exclusively i think done by uh gay men but it's um it's one of those things, though, that it's so interesting that it would have at that effect because um, that you would have, like, an interest in that because I think the only reason, I mean, it became a hundred million seller on VHS mm-hmm. and, and DVD. Yeah, was, it's one of those movies of that made top, DVD Yeah, tw- top 20 films. I mean, like, A Basic Instinct, too, where... I mean, you're talking, like, one of the films of the freeze frame since maybe Fast Times at Ridgemont High, hey. you know, but it's it's crazy to think that that was only 20 years ago in this day and age that that was a huge reason, especially when you're talking about like European acceptance of nudity and a very like what at the time were so scandalous sexual topic. Well,
0: and you could also look at its success on home video as kind of an indictment of uh, you know people's like more puritanical attitudes towards sex and going to film because it's like, you know, you want to see this movie, but do you really want to be buying a ticket for it?
1: Well, yeah, and- and and by i told people because at that-
0: the time again to not we're gonna date us a little bit this is back when when you went to a box office you had to buy the ticket from a person
2: you know and you oh, had really? to show id i mean i even remember the first movie theater was like my first or second job second job was uh i remember when what was it people versus larry Flint came out so that was 97 we had to i mean it was like rigidly And uh, I, yeah, I
0: remember there were times where I wanted to see certain movies and I was kind of embarrassed to buy a ticket. So I would buy a ticket to a movie playing at the same time Mm -hmm. and go to the movie I wanted
1: to see. Mm. That was a little bit after my experience, I guess. But the thing, you know, about one last little thing about Showgirls is it desensitized me to women's breasts. Oh, yeah. By the end of it, it like didn't even bother me anymore.
0: Oh, no. Halfway through, you're just like, there's. Yeah, you're just like, okay. Until you had to take ice cubes to your own.
1: No, no, no! I don't even look at it that way. No, the, and one of the—I know you are—the one of the things that I really do enjoy about it—it's almost like how when you watch Goodfellas on regular television and they replace all the, the swearing—is <laughs> with showgirls how the different versions cover up the nipples. Sometimes they paint on like uh, uh, I don't know what they call them, like the little tube. Copy things, oh, yeah, yeah, or yeah. sometimes they do like the full, like a full bra. But like this, even the CGI when they did that at that time, you know, just for the edited for television, it's so poorly done that it's not, you know, it's kind of like almost moving around on the chest. Yeah, you know, it's not in sync with the frame and stuff. I don't know. There's so many levels to the movie that just makes me. I happy. just
2: want to say this is the movie that. I think prepared me. I mean, really introduced me to Gina Gershon and prepared me for Bound. Yeah, I I was I was not, that was another film I was not quite ready for it that age, even being a little um, bit of a Do you
0: do you remember what uh, the main actress's actual name is? We're, I know we're joking. Right?
2: Oh, in uh, Showgirls. Yeah. Oh God, what is it? Hey Adam, you're the expert here, man.
1: Oh, I am. Oh yeah, because I watch like um, Elizabeth. No, you knew, no, uh, no,
0: it's Elizabeth. No, Elizabeth Berkeley's character. What's yeah. her name? No, 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 it's Nomi no me that Nomi. is it yeah. yeah it's it's just like you, you're looking it's like what the fuck is with these names and this no me malone yeah no me malone it's just like the jokes in this movie are just like what i just remember when she
2: comes off the bus all i thought of well, was the welcome this, to the jungle yeah, video
0: exactly <laughs> and then there's this whole weird like mr miyagi kind of thing with glenn Plummer. Who would who you would know as being the black guy from the Speed movies, and he's also Jericho One in uh, Strange Days, and he's kind of like shepherding mm-hmm. her around the dangerous, unseemly world of being a showgirl. It's so bizarre.
1: With without going into it too much, but you know, there's a showgirls too.
0: Yes, and it's one of the side girls. Yeah, Penny. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, I couldn't get through it it didn't have No, the same... from what i understand it was one of those movies that kind of, and he's in it too glenn yes. Plummer. Uh-huh. and basically it's one of those movies that popped up around the time birdemic in the room were happening trying to I mean, hop... it was
1: only a few years ago yeah but it just did
2: well even in the ones that were more like recent like i had a hard time i was getting through like poison ivy too yeah with alyssa milano and something except so for yeah, like showgirls too for make... similar uh effects so i i don't know but i think that um you know, I, I I do think that probably the Spawn observation here, I mean, I think it's good to explore it a little bit more but it, as to why it was popular and stuff like that. But I think in the end that that was probably like the Spawn assessment. It's basically if Andrew Dice Clay wrote and directed A Star is Born. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just so ludicrously over top and so and not I, I cheesy, feel cheesy. It's that- just like it's kind of like... I think probably at the time in mid even in Midnight's America what people thought happened when you got to Vegas.
0: Yeah. It's this mm-hmm. weird and again, Joe Esterhaus, not an American. If you want to have fun, listeners, find a video of Joe Esther on YouTube where, you know, he's basically this character who wears shades all the time and chain smokes. Um, You're just seeing, uh, again, a foreigner's version of America, and again, not to harp on that, because we we do get interesting uh, motifs on that, but basically a guy who's self-mythologizing, creating this really weird world that doesn't exist, and in in a lot of ways, the punch of showgirls and... um, Hollow Man kind of ended most of Verhoeven's like uh, U.S. journey through film. Yeah. Like well, Starship Troopers too was not a success. No, a lot of these I mean, movies not, not theatrical. No, no, no. A lot of these movies just like I mean, Total Recall and um RoboCop did well, but like the other ones didn't pretty much at all.
2: But I, I, I'll put that as my final thought on Verhoeven. I'll let you guys do your own. But one of the things I think you you did point out like about him, you know, not being it's like a non-Americans look in. It's funny that he's so far, it's such like a oh, caricature almost. And though Verhoeven kind of did the same thing, he was more spot on about America, a complete foreigner, than a lot of American directors have been. Oh, so yeah. I definitely, yeah, I mean, I, I, that's the way I think about him. I mean, just a brilliant guy, didn't do as many, obviously like a huge amount of films, but his impact, that's where I say, like, most people would never know who he was. But his films, I mean, it's a huge indelible mark, and it's because people
0: see themselves in it, whether yeah. they want to admit it or not. Well, it, I think it's it's very telling to me. Like, uh, you know, it's just like westerns. When you look at westerns, you don't think of like John Ford or John Houston's like take on America. You think of Sergio Leone's westerns is what you think of American western to be. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think uh, the the movies that followed. Uh, Paul Verhoeven's, like, when they did the Starship Troopers sequels and even the Robocop remake, all those movies did uh, to kind of try to, like, make themselves relevant was sort of try to ape the sat the satiric elements. If you look at, like, I think the Starship Trooper- Troopers 3, basically the whole thing, it's about um, – this one disgraced soldier and at the end he helps a platoon that's lost and then he they end up using his image to sell people on joining the war Mm -hmm. and then uh jose padillas uh, or padijas whatever how you pronounce his name version of robocop it 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 lapses into the whole uh you know product satire, but it's and again another movie that like if it had been more about drone warfare, which is what most of that movie's actually really about is like the problems with drone warfare in America mm-hmm. um it would have been a much better movie, and I think when we originally talked about it, that's the big problem we had with it. It's like it's a movie that wants to be good, but it's dealing with being a remake and it's stuck with that baggage, you know, sure. So that's what I would say. It's like, you know, I think he's a good example of using his point of view to tell interesting, unique stories.
1: Uh, For me, go back to his early stuff, um, starting in the 70s. I mean, even go back to like Diary of a Hooker. Uh, Turkish Delight is really good. Soldier of Orange is like is probably the best example of his earlier work, especially with like Rutger Hauer. Um, I know that was one of the things like in his in his earlier days that really uh, launched him as, as a Dutch director.
0: -hmm
1: well and black book is like the most recent one and we're definitely gonna have to check yeah, that God, out watch definitely that. Really yeah cool.
0: so thanks again guys for checking us out listeners for another edition of cult following I think this was a really good concise uh, film capsule like view of what we thought of most of his important works oh, sure. and uh put it in the comments let's know who else you think we should spotlight mm mm-hmm. exactly our next edition the 25th probably in a couple of weeks will be our you know our big uh you know silver anniversary edition tentatively we might have even might have a guest in oh. We might. You never know. Um, if you're in town, check us out this Saturday at uh, Total Recall. One of Verhoevens on the big screen. Let us know what you think about it in person. Tickets at Z Records. Call You got T-shirts and prints that you can order until Wednesday. Um, and if you really enjoy this podcast, throw us a comment. If you're on iTunes, uh, you know, re- give us a review because you know all those reviews help us climb up on the iTunes. Sh- chart and keep our numbers growing because we want to get this out to as many people as possible.
1: Someday we'll be a real boy. (laughs) Eventually,
0: (laughs) we will reach the epoch of Pinocchio. So, until then, uh, don't eat after midnight, stay hungry y'all, and don't get wet. I'm one of your three hosts, Victor Marino along with Adam Rakowski. Bye, suckers! And Kirby Nelson. (laughs) And until then, get your ass to tempi.
2: Crystal has left the building.